The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. All right, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, for the last time this year, please open them up to the book of James. James chapter 5 is where we're going to be. There are hardback black Bibles under every single chair that you can open up to James chapter 5. That's on page 1013 in those black Bibles. Open a phone, open a tablet. James 5 is where we're going to spend our time today, and we've made it to week 12. Week 12. We've made it all the way. How many of you have enjoyed the book of James? How many of you have enjoyed it? Okay, some of you haven't, apparently. (laughs) All right, I mean, that was an easy, everybody should raise their hand kind of thing, all right? Um, Man, here's the thing. Uh, No matter how long you've been following Jesus, uh, the book of James is a good punch to the gut. I mean, even if you've been following him for decades and decades, it's like every time I open the book of James, I think, like, he challenges me. I realize there are so many things, so many areas where I've still got a lot of growth to, 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 to grow in. So, so I, I just hope this has been challenging for you. I hope it's been good for you. And that's my whole introduction. No quippy intro, no great story, no jokes. Let's get into the text, okay? James chapter five, we're gonna start in verse 13. This is how James begins this section. Is anyone among you suffering? Now, um, that's going to set up the whole last bit of James. Is anyone among you suffering? And this is a rhetorical question, all right? He's not actually asking, like, anybody, anybody suffering? That's not, that's rhetorical means he's assuming the answer is yes. Because remember the context of James. Okay, James is writing to uh, rather new converts to Christianity They were all formerly Jewish. They have now converted and believe in Jesus as Messiah, and they are being persecuted because of it. They're being scattered amongst the ancient Near East because of their profession of faith in Christ. And so is anyone among them suffering? Yes. The answer is yes, James. We know we're in trouble. Okay, that's pretty much all you've been writing to us about for the past five chapters. We've got real problems. We started following you, this Jesus guy. We started following him and life hasn't gotten any better for us. It's actually gotten way harder. In a lot of ways, it's gotten way worse. They're killing us, James. They're persecuting us. We've got temptations. We're listening to the word. We can't do it. Right? We got faith. We don't have works. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> we got real problems, James. We've got real problems. So the answer is yes to that question. But the answer is also yes for each and every single one of us when it comes to the question is anyone among you suffering? Because you notice the question isn't are you suffering? It's, is anyone among you suffering? So the answer can always be yes. Even if you're in a season of relative peace and ease, number one, there's someone among you that is suffering. And number two, just give it a couple of minutes. I mean, sorry, Merry Christmas, but but suffering is a part of life. So the answer is always yes. Is anyone among you suffering? And he goes on. Let him pray. And then he goes, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So there's a second question. Okay, the first is anyone suffering? The second question is, is anyone cheerful? And and this one is very easily misunderstood. Okay, it's very easily misunderstood because if you're reading from the NIV, it's translated, is anyone happy? And I think that's a poor translation. Again, I I mean, I've got some issues with the NIV, but that's just neither here nor there. You see, here's the thing. The Greek word that is translated as anyone there cheerful, that Greek word means um, more literally to be of good courage or to, to take heart. Is anyone taking heart? Is anyone of good courage? Is anyone cheerful? And it only shows up one other place in the New Testament. 
which is how you kind of sometimes determine whether a, a word is translated well or not, is you look at it in context all through the scriptures. This one only shows up one other time. It's in Acts chapter 27. And here's what's happening in Acts 27. The apostle Paul is on a sea voyage. He's been arrested and he's on his way to Rome where ultimately he will stand trial, be imprisoned and be killed. Paul's on this sea voyage and they get caught in an incredibly bad storm. And and what happens is the sailors on that ship start freaking out. The storm is so bad that the sailors start freaking out. They toss the cargo overboard. Okay, they toss all of their tackle overboard. And, And when the guys who live and work on boats start freaking out on the boat, it's a bad situation. Right? This is like taking a Southwest flight, hit some turbulence, and the flight attendants break out those little bottles of liquor and they start taking shots. <laughs> you start freaking out at that moment. It's like, oh, did, did anybody pay attention to the security briefing? Where's that card? Okay, where's that card? When are those things going to fall down? Like you're, you're in that moment of terrifying because the people who are supposed to be calm are freaking out. That's the moment here. Okay, the sailors realize that they're not going to make it. The ship is going to go down. And here's what they say, uh, what Paul says to them. Acts 27, verses 21 and 22. I'll put it on the screens. He says, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. That's the I told you so moment, okay? Should have listened to me, verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. To take heart is the same word. Take heart, be cheerful. Now this isn't some cheesy 1980s Bobby McFerrinism, right? Don't worry, be happy. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, take courage. It's a mess all around us. I know there's a storm. We're going to lose the ship, but take heart, take heart. And that's what James means by be cheerful here. Okay. Is anybody among you cheerful? Is anyone among you taking heart? Is anyone among you being courageous in the midst of the trials? Okay. James is not saying, Hey, some of you are suffering and have it real bad while others of you are just great. Just killing it. That's not what he's doing. He's not comparing the two, okay? Uh, What he's saying is that there are people among you who are suffering. And some of them in the midst of the suffering are taking courage. They're taking heart. So then the question is, what if you're not? So what if you're not the one who's courageous? What if you're the one who's casting things off the side of your ship, just praying that you don't die? What do you do in that moment? And James attacks that in verses 14 and 15. Look at 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So there's those three questions. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone sick? And those three questions don't represent three groups of people. They represent two groups of people. The first one is, is anyone suffering? And everyone says yes to that. Everyone in his context says yes And then he says, okay, some are mustering up some courage in the midst of their trials. But then verse 14 gives the counterpoint to those who are being cheerful. And it says, and some of you are sick. Is anyone sick? And I think that's a good translation. Is anyone sick? Um, The word does mean sick as in physical ailments, physical sickness. It does mean that, but it also has a wider meaning. That word has a wider meaning than just physical illness. Uh, This word is often translated weary or weak or sick. I think this means, yes, 
physical sickness, but even more, it means, the way I'm putting it is, it means being sick of being sick. You ever been there? You're not just sick, you're, you're sick and tired and weary and broke. You're sick of being sick. In their suffering, they're just so sick and tired of, of being there. Things aren't going well. They're unable to muster any sort of cheer or courage. They're feeling like they're ready to tap out. And to that person, James says, call for the elders. Call for the elders. So this is how he's ending his letter. This is how James ends this letter. He's addressing those who are suffering, some handling it okay, they're taking courage in the moment, while others are worn out and they're sick and they're tired. And James gives instructions. This is what he's been doing all through the book. He's been giving us instructions and he tells those people to do three things. The first thing he says is pray. Second thing he says is sing praise. And then the third thing he says, call the elders of the community you're in to come alongside you. And what I wanna do is I wanna break those things down because I think they're very instructive to us if there's any among us who are suffering. Okay, so, so first thing he says to do is pray. Prayer is the first action when suffering shows up in our lives. You ever tell somebody um, about something you're struggling with, a real trouble in your life, like your real hard sufferings and their response is, hey, maybe you should pray. And your immediate thought is, hey, maybe I should pray for you. How about that? <laughs> you ever feel that? See, sometimes... I think when somebody says, oh, maybe you should pray, we think that answer is too simple, too lame, too obvious. Yeah, I know I should pray. Captain Obvious, thank you. See, to some, we might hear James answer, hey, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. That could be almost offensive. You can almost take that as an offense because you already know that, right? I mean, I don't think any of us are like, What? I had no idea I was supposed to talk to God about my problems. I don't think anybody in here is, is that daft, okay? But, but you see, many of us when suffering, our inclination is to actually move away from God and to seek peace elsewhere. It's, it's an inclination that we're all prone to is to wander from him when things get hard and, and try and find the peace that we're looking for elsewhere, okay? But James says, Pray. Let them pray. We try everything in our own power to find some relief. And then we say, well, all that's left to do is pray, right? But the Bible flips that on its head. It says, no, that's actually the first place you should run. It's not the only thing that's left. It's the only thing that is. Pray. Do you see prayer as your first line of defense or as your last resort? Because if you're suffering, it should be the place you fall first. Prayer. And listen, I know we have a number of younger and kind of newer Christians here at Fathom. And, and, and like I hear from you often, like you'll say that you like coming to, to Fathom because you feel accepted and, and like the people are friendly and the music is so inspiring and you like the teaching because it feels down to earth and it's biblical and you're like, you feel good about that, okay? And listen, I feel good that you feel good about that. Yes and amen to all these things, but I just want you to know, we're not gonna bait and switch you. So here's the real deal, okay? Listen to me. We believe in the crazy stuff. <laughs> you hear me? There's some crazy stuff in here. And we believe it. You might think we're intellectually interesting or man, I think he's kind of funny or that's a hip church. Listen, that's not the power that God has for us is a cool production or a good message. It's the power of God's word being lived out amongst his people. We believe all of this stuff, the crazy stuff in here, we believe it. Uh, okay, uh, I don't know if you believe me, okay? We believe it. What do you mean? Well, I mean that the things that are crazy in here, listen, okay, listen to me. We believe that when we pray, 
God actually responds. We believe that. Okay, um, we believe that prayers aren't just throwing some good thoughts out there. Prayers aren't just getting ourselves in like the right meditative state of mind. See, we really believe that the almighty sovereign creator of all the universe hears us and, oh, by the way, responds to us when we pray to him. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know that the world thinks that's crazy. They might like prayer as some sort of therapeutic thing for your internal life. But we believe that we're talking with the almighty creator of everything and that he hears us. That's crazy. But we believe it. Please fight against the temptation to roll your eyes when James answer is, are you suffering? Get on your knees. Don't roll your eyes to that. It's not the last thing. It's the only thing. You say, well, I don't know how to do this. Okay. I don't know how to pray. I'll just give you three quick prayer tips. This one's just, is more for me than for you, but, but I think it'll help. Okay. Three quick prayer tips. You need a time, you need a place, you need a plan. Okay. This should be real practical. Okay. I tried to make it three P's, but it ended up being time, place, and plan. I couldn't come up with a P for time. Closest I got was period. And I didn't want that one. Okay, so you need a time. You need a time set for prayer. You're like, well, that doesn't feel very intimate. You schedule your prayer, Chris? That doesn't feel very relational. Why would you have to schedule your prayer time? But listen, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. I love Marcy Martin more than any other human being on the planet. More than Harper. Love that girl more than the other girl, okay? Just letting you know, because that girl's going to leave me. This one shouldn't, okay? (laughs) I love Marcy Martin more than anyone else on this planet, and I schedule dates with her. I set aside time to be with her, and in that she has never felt robbed of my affection for her. Oh, you planned this? You must hate me. (laughs) Never happened. In fact, she gets ticked when I don't plan dates, right? Right? You need to set aside time for prayer. When is it that you're going to pray? When is it? Because here's what's going to happen. Without a set aside time, there are going to be things that come up in your busy life and you'll find yourself by the end of the day going, did I even pray at all? I mean, tell me I'm a liar. Tell me that's never happened to you. Did I even pray today? This is what happens. So for me, I'll just tell you mine. Okay, my prayer time is the first thing in the morning. This is uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. This is describing what I do. It's not the only way to do it, okay? This is just me. My first first thing in the morning is prayer because I'm a morning person, okay? I'm one of those weirdos that wakes up at 5 a.m., eyes open, bright, and ready to go. But meet me after lunch. You're like, what is this guy talking about, okay? Because it's all downhill after I eat. That's just how it works, okay? But, but at 5 a.m., I'm up, and, I'm, and I want the first quiet moments in my morning with two things. A hot cup of coffee, because you need that, and Jesus. I need both, okay? You need to set aside time for prayer. And I'm not saying that you don't talk to him throughout the day. I'm not saying you don't stop praying when your prayer time is over. Okay, here's the, here's the crazy thing. On date night, all day leading up to date night, I text Marcy. If she texts me, I'm not like, hey, babe, save it for date night. <laughs> we're texting, we're sending funny gifts or gifs or whatever you want to call them all day long. Okay? You have set dates, but then there's, there's this constant communication with those that you love same is true with the Lord. Okay. A specific time to meet with him. That's number one. Number two, the second thing you need is a place. You need a place for prayer. And I know this one feels even more rigid than setting a time, but I just, I mean, I'm pretty well convinced here that human beings form habits or patterns at places, in places. 
So let me biblically back this up, okay? Remember when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives on the night that, uh, before he is crucified? Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder how Judas knew exactly where to find Jesus on that night when I'm gonna betray him? You ever wonder, how did he figure this out? Well, Luke twenty two thirty nine 39 says this, I'll put it up on the screen. And Jesus came out and went to the garden. That's what he's talking about. As was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. Luke just told us that it was Jesus' custom to go to that garden on the Mount of Olives. He had a place where he was accustomed to pray. I think you need a place. You need a time, you need a place. I've got a place. I've got a place where I pray in my family room. I, uh, it's my prayer chair. That rhymes. I didn't mean it to rhyme, but it's my prayer chair, okay? Uh, I sat in it this morning as I was praying through this sermon. It's just a chair. It's not really that cool. Not cool at all, actually. It's got a floral pattern on it. So I don't know what that means. But it's, it's my place. It's where I sit every morning with my coffee to pray. It's my place. I need a place. And then finally, number three, you need a plan. You need a plan for prayer. You don't want to go into this thing blind. Okay. And listen, I know when I say that you need a plan, there are certain ears that perk up. And then there are some of you that vomit and black out. Okay. So I I just, I get it. Some of you are planners and some of you are not planners. And if you're not a planner, then you might have this compulsion to say, well, listen, I can just pray to God and talk to God whenever and however I want. And the answer is yes, you can. You absolutely can. But again, remember back to the gospel of Matthew when Jesus' disciples approach him and they ask Jesus to teach them to pray. They ask Jesus, hey, teach us how to pray, Jesus. And Jesus wasn't just like, just pray whatever you want. I ain't teaching you that. It should be extemporaneous. It's not what he did. He taught them our father who art in heaven, right? Like he taught them a form prayer. I think you need a plan for what you're gonna do when you get the time and you get to your place. So for me, I'll just, again, once again, for me, I use a prayer journal. I write my prayers out word for word. I just write them out. You don't have to do that. Okay. That's not like prescriptive. That's not like Jesus is like, get your journal out. No, that's not, this is Chris. I get my prayer journal. Here's why. Because if I don't have something to center me, my mind is going 6 million different directions and I get lost. If I close my eyes, it's 5.15 now because I've waited for the coffee to brew. I've let the dog out. Now I'm sitting in my chair. If I close my eyes in silence to pray, I'm falling back asleep. So I have my eyes open. I have my journal open. I have a pen out and I'm writing out my prayers. And I pray for a whole bunch of stuff. I pray for you. I pray for my family. I pray, I pray all kinds of crazy stuff, but I have a plan. So when you're suffering, James says, pray. But then James moves to the next one. Okay. He says, Hey, if you're cheerful, you're suffering and you're, you're taking heart in that trial, you're taking courage. Then James says, you should sing praise. You should praise. It's like James was thinking, hey, what could be possibly more uncomfortable for somebody than praying? How about singing with a bunch of people? That sounds great, right? Right? Singing, singing with other people, singing praises out of your mouth to God. I don't know if you know this. It's an uncomfortable thing. I I, uh, had a gal come to Fathom years ago. She started to bring her unsaved husband uh, with her to church. And I grabbed lunch with him one day. I just connected with him. And and he says, hey, Chris, I mean, I really like your preaching. He's not saved. He, listen, he made it known to me that he was not saved, okay? He's like, I really like your preaching. Like, I think you explained the Bible. Interesting. I'm learning stuff. I like your jokes. Like, it's great. But I really, really hate the singing part. I really hate it. It's just so uncomfortable. And what the bleep are people doing with their hands? Seriously, he just didn't say bleep. <laughs> so just can we admit, can we admit that, that like singing is kind of a weird thing that we do? I guess, I mean, you might be used to it because you've been here, but it's kind of a, a weird thing. A bunch of people getting into a room, singing, lifting their hands, closing their eyes, emoting verbally. 
Where else do you do this? Sounds like a Coldplay show or the Broncos game. Not this year, but you know, normally. (laughs) I mean, remember what I said about prayer on this one, okay? Because it applies here as well. We believe some crazy stuff. We believe the crazy stuff, y'all. Listen, those two songs that we just sang before I got up here to preach, it's not supposed to be like a little concert, okay? You get that, don't you? It's not like easy listening for the pre-sermon crowd. And it's actually an opportunity for you to participate and to lean into the living God, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you and in this room. He was here before you got here waiting for you. Singing is a place, listen, where your faith is developed. James is like, hey, are you suffering? Are you surviving this thing? Is this trial not totally beating you down, but you're actually taking courage? Then sing some praise. Then sing. You're like, James, give me something deeper. He's like, there is nothing deeper. You sing from your heart. There is nothing deeper than that. Pray and sing. If you catch this revelation, you'd never be late for church again. It's not optional. You know, when I'm done preaching, okay, and, uh, and the band comes back up here and we do our responses and we have a couple more songs, that's not your chance to dip out of here and beat traffic. Get to Palenque early and get your tacos ordered. That's not what it's meant for. It's meant for you to dig deeper. So when I was a senior in high school, okay, I, uh, I became a believer when I was 16. So when I was 17, I was a senior in high school. I'd been a believer for about a year and I was just so f- on fire for Jesus. So hungry for God's word. I was, I was, I was in that new kind of, you know, just starry eyed moment with Jesus. I just wanted to do church as much as I could. So I did like Sunday morning church, Wednesday night youth group. And then I found a Saturday night church that I went to on Saturday nights. You know that, that feeling where you're just like, you can't get enough of God's stuff. That's how I felt. You're one of being the Jesus follower. So I went to this church, a Saturday night church, and they preached kind of like how we preach text, like verse by verse, expositorily through the text. And I just loved it. I just was eating this stuff up. I couldn't get enough of it. And I remember distinctly one Saturday night, as I was driving home from that service, I, I put on a CD of worship music in my Subaru, just slid a CD into the changer college students, a CD. It's like a Frisbee with music on it. Spotify on a Frisbee. That's what a CD is, okay? Um, but I slide that CD in of like Matt Redman or Chris Tomlin or Dave Crowd. Or what, I just slid that thing in there. And, and, and I just started singing in my Subaru, 17-year-old kid. And it was like all the Bible that was crammed into my head at that service just clicked. Like as I was sitting in my car, driving home, listening to praise, singing out loud, and I just found myself starting to weep, which is awkward if you're a 17-year-old guy, like driving by yourself. So I like pulled over and, you know, tried to, but I've just, in the moment, I found myself as I was singing songs that I hadn't written, Songs that weren't my words, they were somebody else's words, poetically and melodically connected. And as I sang, it took the head stuff and it moved it into the heart world. And all of a sudden I was praising God in a different way. Literally pulled over, I was crying so hard. Church, we believe the crazy stuff here. I don't want to come across as like some sort of emotional, over-emotional, anti-intellectual person here. Like we need our brains. We want to go deep in this stuff, but there's just something that happens when we sing. God, help us if we ever just become brains in this place. Our hearts should grow in the same way. I think we're waiting for James to give us something more, but he's like, hey, pray. Sing praise. Do these things. You want deeper? This is the way to deeper. This is the way. And then he says this. If you're in that place of breaking, if you're sick, if you're sick of being sick, if you're sick 
and you're tired and you're weary, it's time to call the elders. Have them anoint you with oil and pray for you. The third thing to do when suffering is you involve people. Involve people. Prayer, praise, people. Three Ps. There you go. What you have in this moment, in this text, is a community who in moments of suffering and of sickness, they pull together. They walk together. They commune with God together. In this text, he says, call the elders. And that implies that you actually belong to a local community with elders. I love you online people. You better be connected to a place with some real people who can pray for you. This implies that you belong to a people. You call your people together and they hit you with that oil and they join you in your prayer. This is a call to community here. It's called a, a call to community. Now, uh, some of you Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans in the room hear oil and immediately get freaked out. Right? I, I bring up incense and you're, some of you are like, sweet, swing that thing. But I bring up oil, it's like freaking you out, okay? Um, and I freaked you out a little bit last week when I asked you to pray with your open hands on your lap. You're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I gotta, how do I do this without doing that? Like, I know this is weird, but anointing with oil, goodness gracious. The only thing I anoint is my breakfast burrito with green chili. Now that <laughs> is what I anoint, okay? But, but listen, once again, we believe in the crazy stuff here. We, okay, <laughs> stay with me here. The oil symbolizes something symbolizes the Holy Spirit of God. And we believe that when you pray and praise with people, crazy stuff begins to happen. We hit you with that oil and we pray in faith and God heals. We pray in faith and God restores. We pray in faith and God is faithful to forgive. It's not the oil that does it, it's God that does it. He's just saying, you need a little tactile help on this one. So we hit you with a little oil. You need prayer, praise, and people when suffering is amongst you. But then James does one last thing in the text that's even more uncomfortable, okay? Especially for us as Western American evangelicals. So look at verses 16 through 18. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed, prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Crazy stuff. Prayer. Praise. Being with people. Here's the craziest. Confession. We believe in the power of confessing your sins. And confession is something we don't like to talk about much in evangelical circles. We don't like talking about confession, okay? Why? I think there's two reasons as I think about this, okay? First, it's because confession is the nth degree of vulnerability. Listen, prayer requires some vulnerability. Praise, singing with other people who may or may not be good at it. That requires some vulnerability. You might not be. I've heard some of y'all. It's vulnerability, to praise with your mouth. Including other people in your sufferings requires vulnerability, but confessing your sins. Now that's just, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. And as American evangelicals, listen to me, we are far more individualistic in how we see the things of faith than the Bible does. It's just me and Jesus. I'm good with Jesus. Just me and my best friend, Jesus. Me and buddy Jesus, we got this thing figured out. We're too individualistic. That's not how the Bible reads. 
okay? There are two ways the confession goes. Uh, there's a vertical and there's a horizontal. And we love the, the vertical piece. As American evangelicals, we get this vertical confession piece. It's confessing your sins to God, right? We like that. With this acknowledgement that we've messed some stuff up and we just kind of tell God and that's confession for most evangelicals. We just confess it vertically. But this is where I think American Christians, sometimes we get hung up on things because we just think, hey, it's just, it's just me and God and I tell him what I've done and then I'm good. And then I'm good. But James, he just said, hey, confess your sins to one another. Your confession should also be horizontal, not just vertical. That's the first reason why I think confession is hard for us. The second reason is this. We have um, in our collective psyche, some built up kind of pop culture, pseudo Roman Catholic images that flash through our heads about a little confessional box where you go, okay, and you get in there and there's a screen between you and the priest and you say, bless me, father, for I have sinned. It's been three months since my last confession. And you think that when you think confession, it's kind of built into our minds. You've seen it in movies. Even if you weren't raised in the Catholic church, you've seen that scene before. And in kind of a reactionary spirit against all that is problematic with that, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to the idea of confessing our sins to one another. So just listen to me here, okay? Confession is not a Catholic idea. It's a biblical idea. It's biblical. James just said it. Confess your sins to one another. Now, nowhere does James indicate that this should be done into like a, turned into like a formalized system of Christians confessing their sins to a priest. They added that on later. And there's some merit there, but, but not entirely. So what is then James proposing here? Well, um, there is a doctrine that if you've taken our theology class, you may have remembered, but there's a doctrine called the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. This is a Protestant doctrine, thoroughly Protestant doctrine. And it basically says this, that all Christians have access to God's throne in prayer. And we are all members then of a royal priesthood. And that's what James, I think, is trying to tell us here. That as we confess our sins to one another, we act as priests to one another. All this stuff that he's been talking about are priestly actions, if you read your Old Testament. Read Leviticus sometime. Fall asleep, wake up, read a little bit more, okay? <laughs> but if you read Leviticus, you'll find out that anointing with oil, interceding for one another, and receiving confession from another believer, they're all acts that priests did. These are all activities of the priestly order. And now this doctrine is no longer for some select order of priests, but rather it's for all. It's not for ordained pastors or for some, those who have been to seminary or for like the church elders alone. No, the priesthood of all believers is for all believers. I shouldn't have to say that, right? All means all in English. I know we parse out Greek sometimes. This is why James brings up Elijah, okay? Did you see that little part there? Like verses, I think, 17 and 18, the Elijah thing. Now, Elijah, James brings up Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who was really legit, did some incredible things. If you read the accounts of Elijah, you're like, this guy is top shelf. He doesn't even die. He gets swept up to heaven, Chariot of fire, sort of, sort of style. I mean, brother's doing all right. Now, James, remember, he's writing to Jewish readers. So they all would have known Elijah. They all would have known all the accolades of Elijah. And they would have probably intuitively thought that Elijah, as a prophet of God, had some sort of special connection with God. And that's why his prayers were effective. They would have thought that. And that Elijah... No wonder God answers his prayers. He's legit. He's varsity. But James says these words, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. 
he's leveling the playing field here. He's saying Elijah didn't have something different or special that you and I don't have. Pastors don't have this. Priests don't have this. There's there's not something different about the clergy or something. I mean, this is something. The priesthood of all believers says that it is powerful when ordinary followers of Christ, like you and like me, when we confess our sins to one another and when we pray for one another. This is what James is saying. When we are suffering, when we are tired, when we are weary, when we are burdened with our sin and our struggle, when we're sick of being sick, he says the best chance we have to overcome those things is with one another. It's with you and me and it's us together. Jesus is authorizing us to do the things that priests did. And let me just be real crystal clear here. Doctrinally, okay, James is not saying that your brother or sister in Christ, while acting as a priest, actually forgives your sins. That's a misread of the text. It's a misread. Jesus actually makes it clear that only God can forgive sin. Jesus says that. No human being can do that for you, but brother or sister in Christ can remind you of the truth that your sins have been freely and fully and forever forgiven by his death on the cross. They don't forgive you. They remind you that you already are. And I'm telling you, you need to be reminded of that. Now back to this vertical horizontal thing, okay? Thinking this week, um, why do you think we're more comfortable in most circumstances confessing our sins vertically to God than we are confessing them horizontally to each other? I mean, if you think about it, rationally, why is it that we think that it's easier to confess to an almighty sovereign judge who could send you to hell? than it is to confess to another that we would confess broken, sinful human being who might actually know what it's like. Why do we have this like favor for personal vertical confession as opposed to horizontal confession with people who might actually say, man, I know how that is. Why are we more comfortable confessing in that way? Well, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, uh, I want to quote him in a book called Life Together. This is what he says. He says, we must ask ourselves whether we have not been, not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession of sin to God, whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves absolution. This is one of the reasons why confessing our sins to one another is so very important. Because we are prone to be self-deceived. I mean, who are you really confessing to? Are you confessing to God? Or maybe you're just confessing to yourself. You ever heard, I just need to forgive myself? No, you need God's forgiveness. And that can lead into you working through your own heart, but, but we never start there. See, this whole closing section from James is about suffering. It's about hardship. And it all points to this holy communal response. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Sing praise together. Call the elders. Like, that's because when we suffer, the great temptation is to isolate When things go hard in our lives, the great temptation is to isolate ourselves. And to quote another author that I read this week, he said, to choose to be alone is to invite sure failure. This is what sin does. It isolates you. You think if they only knew. You think there's no way that anybody is struggling like I'm struggling They'd cast stones at me. 
They'd kick me out. They'd look down upon me. If they only knew the darkness that was inside of me, they'd reject me. But this is what sin does. It isolates us. And confession is the only biblical way to overcome sin. We confess, listen, we confess our sin to death. We confess our sin to death. This is why I think James ends with the last two verses. I'm not gonna have time to dig too deep into them, but, but he reminds us that we're responsible for each other. Look at verses 19 and 20 real quick. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now there's a lot we could talk about in that verse and I'm sorry, we're out of time, but James is saying, this is all about how we help each other live out genuine faith. We pray for one another. We confess our sins to one another. And even we bring each other back when we start to wander. When someone is unwilling to confess and you watch them wander, you say, come on, get back here. When we preached on church discipline a number of months ago, this is what that is. Let's get back in here. Let's get back in here. Don't walk away. Don't walk away. So how to end. How to end the sermon, how to end James, the book of James. Um, I think we should end by reflecting on the same questions that James ends with. Is anyone suffering? Is anybody here suffering? Is anybody... Like John said, it's not the most wonderful time of the, world, uh, of the year. Things the next couple weeks are only going to amplify in, in complications. <laughs> you lost somebody. You're about to go visit somebody that you don't really want to see. There's something about the joy and the hope and the peace that you don't find and the trees and the presents and the tinsel aren't helping that much. Is anyone suffering It's time to pray. Anybody taking courage? Yeah, you've got some stuff, but but maybe you've taken heart in the midst of that tough thing. It's time to sing praise. Oh, come let us adore him like we'll sing to him. Is anyone sick? Sick of being sick sick of your sin, sick of your struggles, weary and broken down and maybe even wandering. If you're there today, I'm just saying, today's the day to drag that sin into the light. It's time to confess that sin to a brother or a sister who can hold you accountable. I'm not talking just anybody, okay? Okay. This probably isn't like the first date conversation. Hey, let me tell you my deepest darkest sin. I freak them out, okay? I'm talking somebody who's safe. I'm talking a brother or a sister in Christ, somebody who you trust, somebody who you know is for you, not against you. I think this is one of the reasons why he brings up the elders of the church because you should be able to trust the elders with a confession. Doesn't mean you have to confess to us. It means you could if you'd like to, but there might be somebody you're sitting next to or somebody you can make a phone call with or a coffee date with to confess. But it's time to get out of the crazy cycle that you continue to justify. Every time you say to yourself, I'm done with that, no more. I'll never do that again, God. Only to rinse and repeat at whatever cycle you have. If you keep justifying the sins that maybe you've been struggling with for five or 10 or 15 or God help us 20 years. If you keep justifying those things that you're going to beat them on your own, you're fooling yourself. You won't. This is why God has given you the community. This is why God has given us light to stave off the darkness. What will people think of me, pastor? If I confess these things, what will people think Pastor Ray Ortland in a book that I just read says this. You can be impressive or you can be known, but you can't be both. What will people think of me? They won't think I'm that great anymore. 
You can be impressive or you can be known, but you can't be both. Some of you, listen, and I I get no delusions here. Some of you aren't tired enough yet. Some of you aren't sick of being sick yet. But some of you are. And I'll just tell you from personal experience, as someone who's had my sins paraded literally in front of my entire church, there are few things as freeing as not having to carry the weight of feeling like at any moment you could get busted and found out as a fake. There are few things as good as knowing that you don't have a secret. There's freedom there and Christ invites you into that freedom. That's why we're here. That's why this community is here. To pray, to sing praise and to confess to people. Love you, church. Let's pray together. And Father, this is uh, a good way to end this last little bit of the book of James. Three months in this book, Lord, and I pray that the conviction that we've felt week to week would, would go deeper than that, that it would produce change, that it would produce lasting effects in our lives. But today, I just want to pray for those who are who are suffering. Whether they're suffering with something that's going on externally to them or whether they're suffering from something internally, maybe a sin, an unconfessed sin, an unrepented of sin even. But for those who are suffering, Lord, I pray that we would take these words of James to heart. Lord, that we would pray. We'd come to you, that we'd, that we'd bring our confession to you, that we wouldn't neglect this vertical relationship, but that we would pray to you. Lord, that that even in the midst of our trials, that we might take courage and that we might sing praise. That we know that in, in the working of these head things into heart things, you do work in our hearts. And there's something about singing. I pray that our prayers are sung this morning even. And Lord, I pray that we would confess to people if we don't really have people, we need to get people and then we need to get real with those people. So I pray through this room, through this week, where there would be confession, there would be repentance all over the place and that freedom would be found, that light would shine in darkness. This is the hope that we have in Christ, Emmanuel. And so Father, I... I ask you to empower us by your spirit to do these things. You will not call us to do anything that you will not empower us to do through your spirit. May we be obedient to it. So thank you for the book of James. Faith that works. Lord, now as we move into Christmas, as we look towards the coming of Christ, deepen us, we pray. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the spirit.